delighted to welcome my friend Pascal from INSEAD. He's had an incredible background working at McKinsey and KKR and then setting up a wide range of companies. In the middle, he dealt with a, a life-threatening challenge, lung cancer. So today we're going to discuss uh, his entrepreneurial journey, his career choices, and making difficult decisions, and of course, dealing with uh, a life-threatening disease. So welcome uh, to Network Capital, Pascal. Um, tell us a bit about yourself, your background, and uh, uh, where are you today? I, I like to think of myself, I mean, primarily as a, as, as a dad and a husband and, and an entrepreneur. Um, what, what brought me here, uh, I, was, uh, I was raised in the, in the German part of Switzerland, um, became an engineer or studied, uh, studied to become an, an engineer. Uh, in EPFL in uh, in Lausanne and in Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh, um, and then entered consulting as my first job. I joined McKinsey as a way to kind of, you know, open open to the window to the world. And um, I mean, it's, uh, the, the the way consulting companies pitch it, uh, you know, is a bit of an adventure coming out of your silo, and you get to try out a lot of things. So. Um, I really took took that ride to the fullest. I worked on three continents um, across every possible industry. Um, was able to do INSEAD, supported uh, by McKinsey. So it was really the, the first five years post university is what opened um, opened the windows to the world. I also knew I wasn't a consultant long long term. I, I really like kind of the diversity, the pace. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, if you want to have a career in consulting. You, you're becoming a specialist, right? So uh, it means you've become very focused on specific customer, specific industries. Um, and it was everything but what I'd signed up for. Um, so when the offer came to join KKR in London, I, I moved over into private equity. Um, and fr from KKR, uh, later then joined uh, the ma management of one of the portfolio companies. So at the age of 32, I was... Uh, uh, I became group CEO of uh, Europe's largest vending operator, um, which was great, great learning experience. Um, and, and four years ago, I, I decided to quit, um, took six months off and started my second, uh, second career as an entrepreneur, starting effectively three companies uh, during a six month sabbatical I took. And, you started uh, three companies. Why? Why not start one company? <laughs> I had... I, I want I once so, so when I quit uh, corporate right and I'd, I I think to, to today I'm I'm relieved that I became an entrepreneur because I, I can feel you know that's that's what gets me out of bed and that's what keeps me excited um and and so leaving corporate and I was in gardening leave I started to talk to a lot of other entrepreneurs just to make make it a bit more real but it still felt very very distant mm. um I, I would I would watch you know, podcasts of people who, 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 who were, um, who, who were one person marketing agency. And I was very impressed that, you know, that the guts to become an entrepreneur. So it, it seemed like mission impossible when you come from this cozy, um, corporate career. Um, and I had one entrepreneur that told me, I said, look, um, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, um, uh, once you do, it becomes like flipping eggs. Um, or, uh, you know, it becomes the same process again and again. Um, and um, the, 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 one company, to be fair, is my wife's. 
company. So I was more kind of help, helping take the first steps. Uh, and she was a bit my guinea pig into entrepreneurship. Um, the, the second one, we were spending the winter in a, in a, in a mountain town in the Swiss Alps called Bivio, 1,800 meters, and there was an empty post office. So, and, and people were wondering what to do with that empty post office. And so I said, let's build a coffee roaster. That's uh, the, uh, it's called, called Bivio. It's the highest coffee roaster in Europe. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a village of 200 inhabitants and it brought new jobs into the village. And, uh, and, and as you can imagine, generates a lot of PR. We made it all the way to national news just because people love the story. Um, and, and then the, the biggest, the biggest one, uh, Boost Bar, which is, uh, a unattended, um, or autonomous retail technology and services company, um, with, with the goal to help companies build attractive and profitable unattended businesses. Um, and that one is now really the large one where in the meantime, we're 110 people, um, with customers on three continents. So that's that's the main business that keeps me up at night, but the other two are up up and running. And uh so you started three companies, you worked in consulting, you worked in KKR, you have uh INSEAD um as a background. So I would imagine raising venture capital, you do check a lot of the boxes. Why didn't you think of venture capital? Well, to be fair, to be fair, my first I mean the fur the the the, the first seven or eight months. My co-founder is also an insider four, four years after us and, and, and McKinsey. The, and, and we found it in the middle of COVID. Um, but, but still we kind of, uh, you know, we built the business plan and the target customers were basically a list of, of companies where we had, where we knew someone at sea level, which is, mm. you know, in the small world of Switzerland, McKinsey and insider is a lot. Mm. And, and we just put them somewhere on the timeline and say, look, we'll, we'll bootstrap ourselves to success. Mm. Um, COVID went longer, um, fi financing. I mean, we do have a bit of, you know, de debt financing required, um, became difficult. Um, and so eventually we said we'd, we'd raise a seed round, uh, which we did in early 2021. Um, and there is a third of the seed round was covered actually by, a, by, by a VC, um, and, and the rest were angels. Uh, so so the, the reason we didn't go for VC, I mean, a, a, the original business model uh, isn't a VC case, if you ask me. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I think we see a lot of that. Um, I, I just saw another break, a breakdown uh, the, the other day on, you know, where where investments go between PE, VC and growth. And, and, and there's far more investments going into VC than and growth and it should obviously be the other way around the other way absolutely um, and there there was one element um and uh i think this the second element we'll we'll get to in a second um at the later stage we we at least from a business model and and, and performance perspective we should have been a vc investment but uh became difficult for other reasons so what uh what were some of the other reasons? Um, tell us what happened to you. Something really transformational happened in the middle of your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah. Looking one way, you were at the peak of your career in Seattle, McKinsey, KKR, leading a large company at a fairly young age. Um, so the momentum was on your side, but in a way, life kicked you hard. What happened? 
Yeah, so we were, I mean, the, the, the first f- first nine months, we sold nothing. It was in the middle of COVID. And, and then we started to hit traction and went super fast. We went within six, min- six seven months, we signed a total of like the, the famous first million of uh, contracted annual revenues. Um, wow. We we won the the venture award, which is kind of it's the McKinsey Prize for 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 startups in Switzerland. It's kind of one one of the bucket list items I had when I started the journey. So everything went perfectly, um, and uh, except for a little cough I had, and and du- during autumn vacation I went to check out this cough and thought you know I'll get some antibiotics and some cough drops and it's all good. When um, you're saying cough, you mean just like a regular cough, like a a regular, I mean, you know, a bit like more, more, more than regular, but you know, it was a pandemic, so it's not completely unusual. You must have thought it's COVID or something. Mm, it wasn't because I kept on testing it because I would, you know, <laughs> I remember so many meetings where I said, "Guys, I'll be coughing a lot, but don't worry, I just tested myself. It's not COVID. It's probably bronchitis or something." Um, and and then within a two week window from walking into that hospital, doing a scan, et cetera. It escalated from bronchitis to pulmonitis to hopefully it's tuberculosis to, I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Ufer, uh, we, we, we hoped it was tuberculosis, um, turned out to be lung cancer and very, very advanced lung cancer. I had basically tumors all across the body. I had nine brain tumors, I had two liters of liquid in my lung, uh, or, or, or to put it, that you know, as an engineer, you look up the statistics, uh, 0.5%, five-year survival rate, and, and the median of four to six months. Wow. So, uh, so in a way, quite, the doctors prepared you that you will not be able to live too long. It reminds me of what Steve Jobs' speech, right? It's your doctor's quote for preparing to die. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the doctors are not... Uh, they, they they study a lot, but they don't get communication training. Um, <laughs> they they're not right. They 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 they're sending into therapy options, and they are. There's been a quite a bit of innovation in the last few years, so there are options to to get out of it. And you know, I just told you it was median survival of four months, and that was two years ago. So we'll 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 get to 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 the better ending, but. Um, if if it doesn't work out, it goes very fast, and you're not being prepared, and and you're mentally not, uh, yeah. it's, especially at this age, you're mentally not ready. You know, when I when I talk to people in their late sixties, seventies, um, the death is more present because you you know your friends etc. start to pass away, and you start to accept it as a reality. I I I, I didn't know anyone, um, with lung cancer. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Well, literally, no, no one close passed away except for grandparents in their very, very late nineties. So it wasn't something, you know, it's stuff that happens to others or in movies. Um, definitely not to myself. That would have shattered you. Um, in the middle of everything, like you're a dad, a husband. In the middle of your entrepreneurial journey, when you find out in the middle of the pandemic, this would have rattled you tell me how you dealt with it like how did you process so much information um what was going on in your mind um 
a lot of it is a blur to be fair um what 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 i do know is i very quickly accepted it um accepted what that's an important well, accept, accepted that you know i was just this bad luck i was hit by a by, by by a truck and uh and and then you know you, you you do you do the best out of the situation um which which you know I, I guess everyone reacts with differently you can you can get into kind of panic mode and try to correct stuff i did get into a lot of research and reading but i i stuck to school medicine and you very quickly realize look there's two or three shots you have at um making it out and 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 plus there's a fairly big chance that you need to prepare the people around you for um for for, for the time after so i think on a personal i accepted it pretty quickly and i think we're at least my assumption i think we're we're all programmed to accept that death arrives at some point um so so that didn't you know, if you asked me before, I would have assumed that, that that would really frustrate me that, you know, you have no control and need to leave. That was okay. Um, what we're not programmed for and what was horrible and, you know, what, what, what made me sad a lot is anything around the kids. Uh, yeah. Kids six years old, four and a half years old. Um, you know, you question, how, will they be okay? Um, and, 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 and naturally, you know, you, you assume that they, they need you um plus you know how will you tell them um my wife uh because as patient you get a lot of love and attention and support um but the, the really really tough job is is a significant other and they get no attention mm. um especially the attention is gone once once it's over right and and that's where the journey starts for the people left behind But you know, I was immediately in treatments and um, at operations. I had brain brain uh, radiation. Um, I was losing two kilos every week. Um, I did so, see your picture of what uh, you know what you'd become. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. Um, <laughs> I think that, that that that's the scariest bit because the rest is you know you feel a bit tired and you see the scans and they're not good, but but you know losing weight. At such a pace, um, that that's where you realize it's real. Um, the the first few kilos are okay, you know, you suddenly find, see your six pack again, etc. But then it continues and it continues. Like, Whoa, um, that that that's not good. Um, and then after two two months, I couldn't walk anymore. Um, at thrombosis, and you know, you start you start to have the pain building up to to a level where you can barely treat it with. Um, with painkillers and uh, you know where if, if, even the biggest fighters uh, st start to wonder if it wouldn't be nicer to, uh, to, 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 to to close it so and I, I think you know there was my personal health there was the family and then and, and the company L luckily the company my, my co-founder uh, uh, you know held, held the strings together but uh, must have been you know a, a terrible and intense experience for the people stuck around um, i'm extremely thankful like no one left during that period um and it wasn't fair you know it wasn't a funny period and yeah I mean... we were early so it was not like they were taking big salaries and anything 
So the company um, still kept going on in that uh, in that yeah. turbulent period. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it's it's pushed bar there today, right? And today we're 110 people. Um, I, I plus minus quit. I went to the sidelines for four four and a half months. When I came back in in March, we were still about 10, 11 people, uh, and today we're 110 people. And uh, today, meaning 20 months later, so I, a, a we survived. B, I I think some of the episode, ironically, um, helped us create what we have today. Uh, you 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 have a very tightly knit core um that's gone through a lot and taken a lot of responsibility beyond um and then when i came back and my co-founder is more the operational back office guy and i was more the commercial guy he said can can we rebuild you need to rebuild sales pipeline etc because they kept we signed some really big deals so they were busy implementing them um and and that's the nice thing about you know <laughs> recurring revenues uh at least you have a certain base right you don't start from scratch every time but when i came back he said well you you need to help on sales. I said, look, um, there's this horrible charts, Kaplan-Meyer charts are called, and mm. one axis is month and the other one is survival. And I said, look, median survival is shorter than the typical sales pipeline. The only useful thing I can do for you is to build a team. Um, and uh, you know, the, the other day, some investors, they looked at our org chart and there's, I think we have six insiders in the meantime, five ex McKinsey's and ex Bain. Uh, several were in C-level positions before, and I said, well, how did you manage to put that team together? I said, well, one half, I'm probably good at selling. Um, <laughs> and the second half was at least three people who joined because I told them that my position would free up in a few months. So I, I think it, it, it built a very, very strong foundation. I probably also have the most relaxing founder CEO job of a three and a half year company today, just because I have a layer below me. Um, that, that runs the business and I can focus on, you know, building up new stuff, jumping in if there's a fire or a larger project. Um, so the, the survival was uh, of, of the company and my own, we'll get to that, uh, was a small miracle. I think the fact we did so well afterwards, I'd almost say is a consequence. I, I want to double down on this because, you know, not only the company survived, but it thrived, like scaling staff 10x. It's not the only measure of success, but it is an indication of your growing demand, your perhaps growing product line, revenue services. But in the middle of dealing with so many personal and health-related challenges, coming back and you know, looking at the business with perhaps a fresh uh, pair of eyes, what what was the process of coming back look like? And when you came back, were you fully like cured, or are you cured? Where are you health-wise and with that, tell us where you are business-wise. Mm. Um, so so the, the, the first time of coming back, so the first year was with a big handbrake on. Um, so it's now two years ago since I came back, plus minus. The, the first year with a big handbrake because basically, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd made it a bit longer than planned, but there's still this kind of, you know, if if it doesn't work out, it goes fast. And and I've seen it with a lot of other patients I met. Um so 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 it was with a reluctance to touch anything that is longer than three, three, six months out. One of the worst triggers was people asking me, or even my wife asking me to plan vacations more more than 
six months out that would completely it would freak me out because it's like how, how insensitive of you to talk about something uh so far out. um so that was the first year it was mainly around bringing people together be there and stuff but big mental handbrake on thinking too far out um and it felt partially justified at some point as well because so christmas two years ago i, I that, that's where it really looked bad and i was starting to explain the kids and pre preparing to be gone um and and then this last line of therapy i was put on a what brought a complete remission in six weeks um the, the doctor that looked at the at, at the scans and i showed her the scan the previous scans and she looked at me and said i'm surprised you're still here so so it was really kind of a last last minute turnaround um that went well for kind of the first six seven months and then after eight months it came back in a in in one place um which mean operating it away and again the whole uncertainty but this operation now is uh almost 18 months ago um and since i haven't had any 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 sign of uh of active disease um i do have treatment every three months uh, every three weeks um i do have scans or um so far so clean um and you know so, so i like to put it in statistics and I'm, I'm now probably well there's increasingly uh good chances that might not come back um well, so, um i i really hope that uh that nobody has to go through and if they do they look at this story that we are telling right now and uh, gain some hope not only for uh, their business but also to think about personal life professional life what's really not discussed enough about career transitions even among successful people such as yourself is that when you're starting a company in your early 30s mid 30s even if you've worked at you know marquee organizations it's not that you're swimming in money it's not that you're set for life you could be but that doesn't necessarily need to be the case always so if you you are taking a yeah. risk so where were you yeah, no, in no. that that situation in that context were you set for life all yeah. set nothing to worry no 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 quite 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 the opposite i mean when I have a lot of people ask me and they say, oh, I'm thinking about starting my own business. Um, and I usually spend very little time commenting their business models because, you know, it doesn't, I, I, I can't add any value. And if anyone gave an honest opinion about our business idea, they would have told us to stop. Um, but I always uh, say, look, a, a, do you have the support of your, of, of, of your partner or your wife or your social environment? Because mm -hmm. if you don't, don't even go there yeah um b can you afford it and when i say can you afford it can you live two years with no returns from that venture be because if it's less right if you have one year um let's say oh, i have one year of savings so well but if after six months you see no traction you start to freak out mm -hmm. um so there's the, 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 the a second right? like do you, do you have the can you afford it well, you know whether it's your own cash or whether your partner can earn money but you shouldn't have to worry about salaries coming in the first two years. Um, and, and then thirdly, or maybe should be the first point, do you really have a good reason why you're doing it? You know, is it yeah, just all your peers that raised big series A's and you also want to post one of these 
really is it you know is is there really a, a big driving force that will make you stick through it and so to to your question where was i so i was 15 months in, into starting something um i'm a bit of a risk taker so my at least my cash reserves were in two years uh 15 months in i, I just put up a, a a mortgage on my uh my, my vacation home in order to you know be able to make a few more months without uh without salary so that literally I signed that mortgage two days before my diagnosis um and you know I, I, I don't want to overstate the gravity because I you know there's people who really really get into financial trouble and 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 and, and much more abrupt lifestyle changes from it uh still you know so my cash reserves were low there were still many ways to avoid living under the bridge but it was literally the first time in 15 years where someone would have had to support us financially to 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 make it um and it felt horrible right because it felt i i did my startup entrepreneurship dream which is there's always a bit of you know it's it's like you do it for your you, you do it for others maybe a little bit but you do it for yourself and it felt very egoistic because in that moment i was like there the company wasn't you know in a place yet where i could say look here's here's my legacy and 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 here's your life insurance um i had lung cancer i couldn't do anything to you know to to prepare for for what comes afterwards so so it was a terrible timing um and and i i i i think the biggest stress factor uh i think most of the times even it stressed me more than the health situation um was what do I leave behind and primarily the family to some extent also the startup right I had co-founder in there that wasn't taking salary that other people who had joined and you know for the long-term dream and 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 left other jobs um and that was a big weight and comparatively you know I, I've been exchanging a lot, lot of other patients comparatively still a low weight I, I still had you have parents you have your network you had people from INSEAD stepping in and offering help, you know, with, with a very, very soft fall compared to stories I read and exchanged about of people who had to pick between keeping the house and paying for treatment. Yeah. Um, more, 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 more in the US, uh, to be honest, than, uh, than in Europe, where usually it's the system's quite okay, you know, even an NHS, despite all its criticism, um, it, it does a better job at providing minimum care compared to, to to many other economies but uh it was a big drop and and a bigger distraction uh a big distraction at the moment where you knew it, where, where you needed the least yeah how did you talk to your kids about dealing with um, cancer so so back then like two years ago the, the first two months was just like put the head in the sand and I've got other stuff to handle than to explain it to the kids. So the first two months and, and you also so you you did don't not know. tell them at all, but they would have seen you, right? Yeah, they were. But, you, you know, I mean, it, it's only in movies where you get a diagnosis. They tell you it's nine months and then you spend six months traveling and then three months preparing for for your funeral. Hmm. The, the reality is you ask a doctor and you get helpful ranges of like three months to 10 years, depending on the outcome. Hmm. So why, why stress the kids with, you know, discussions around 
death when there's still even if it's very single is single digit percentages but there's still scenarios where i don't need to tell them um that i might leave them alone um after two and a half months and first line of therapy didn't work and i was tied to bed and throwing up blood gotten very skinny of course aided the story of like that is just very sick right? and they don't make the difference between very sick and cancer but there it became a bit like well what's going on um there was also the topic that there was a you know a, a scenario where i wouldn't be here today anymore um and i did tell them I, my daughter was six my son was four and a half and under five they say that you know that the, the world revolves around the kids mm. um and they don't really understand it so for four and a half year old all he notices is that i don't get out of bed to play with him mm. um so i thought he was listening i think plus minus he understood that you know me not getting out of bed didn't mean that i was punishing him or something but he, he he was clear in the end he didn't understand why i explained it right um and my daughter did understand it um but but then very quickly went into very cute and abstract worlds of oh, it's awesome you so you'd meet opapa or you'd meet ramses opapa is my my, my granddad mm. and ramses my parents cat and both are in uh in in heaven um so so after a few minutes she got excited that i would meet me wow. to get to hang out with which is very cute and comforting right as a as a picture and they also say that you know young younger kids um have much less trouble digesting something like this or also separations and if it happens in their teens where it kind of you know their whole world is already un unstable and it, it, it throws them off so yeah i i ended up i mean <laughs> at some point my wife said no I, either you tell them or I tell them, let me know what you want to do. And I, I did it. Re recently, we started now telling them about it. Um, l luckily, currently, I'm in full remission and I don't need to tell them, look, I'm, I'm, I'm dying and I don't know how long it takes. I'm just telling them, look, I had cancer. Uh, I'm still taking treatment to, to keep it away, but currently, but I'm, I got lucky and, uh, and I'm well, um, which is a, you know, is a, it's, it's still a tough conversation for them because just the idea that that uh, um, that something could happen to 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 their dad is certainly unsettling. Th thinking about parents who need to have that conversation, you know, saying, "Look, the the, the end is coming," and I, but it, it's unclear how long. Still, still fairly lucky. Yeah. I'm I'm glad I don't have to have that conversation. Yeah, but this is you know so pro so difficult to deal with, uh, Pascal. I mean, I'm, I'm, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all of this so openly because it's uh, you can read about this, but unless and until it happens to somebody close to you, uh, it's very difficult to figure out. I actually only realized, even though you know we both went to INSEAD together, I only realized that you were dealing with such a life changing situation through, uh, you know, through social media, surprisingly. And then I said, I need to, you know, like just discuss, we just talk to you first. And then once I heard your story, we discussed some of these questions yesterday. And I was actually really blown away by uh, 
by what was going on in your head. You know, I don't want advice from this podcast for our listeners all around the world. I don't want them to, you know, take away how to get into McKinsey or INSEAD or KKR or hire 100 people in your company. All of these things, people can draw their own lessons. What I really want to help people take from our discussion is decision-making under extreme conditions, both personally and professionally. So we've discussed some aspects of uh, personal, some aspects of professional, and we'll keep bouncing around for the rest of the time. But let's give us a sense of uh, the company. You know, you have 100 people now, but like what was the process of building the company to a level where you can really think about the high level strategic stuff and hiring such a team one level below that can really manage a lot of business development, growth, product, et cetera. What was the process of achieving this level of maturity look like for you? I, 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 I would say, I mean, one, one foundation of it, of, of both handling the private side and then, then the decision-making in the companies, um, I mean, it's known as a, under the name, the serenity prayer and there's variants of it, but, you know, to, to, to understand the things, to, 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 to have the strengths to change the things you can change, um, to accept the things you cannot and, and the wisdom to know the difference and, and to always, you know, go back to that. Uh, I, I think that helped me kind of cope with the disease. I, I didn't spend much time questioning why me, why, and, 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 and wasting time trying to change things I cannot change. Um, and, and I think in our company, same thing, we're very good at being very transparent and blunt and questioning ourselves all the time. Like, where do we stand? What are things we can impact? What are things we cannot impact? Um, and then build our plans on that, um, which when, when I talk to peers or, 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 or also sto stories from my past, e e even private equity days, um, you know, like big wrong business decisions is often the inability to make the difference between these two is, is, is plans built on hope, um, and, and stuff you cannot influence, um, and, 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 and a lot of energy going there instead of putting the energy of the things you, you, you can impact. And, and I think what I described earlier when, when I came back and sat down with my co-founder, I said, look, there's no point that I start to hunt for new business. Um, when my life expectancy is shorter than the, the average sales cycle <laughs> put very bluntly, um, what I can do is help you build a team, H how we did it. Um, and. I'm not sure if that's a, the, the, it's not a recipe, but I think we're pretty good at keeping options open and keeping things agile. Um, in, in consulting or incorporate, you would learn, you draw the in people into, into an org chart. Um, I think we've been very good at f finding ways to integrate exceptional people. Um, and, you know, to massage the organization around it or build a path to, towards kind of what the organization should look like today or in five years um, by integrating 
exceptional people who want to join. Uh, and 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 I think as as a result, you know, a lot of people that if you took a standard approach of saying, here's my box, here's the boxes I need to fill, a lot of people who joined us, I would have had to send them away because they didn't fit in any box. And I, I, for, for before my diagnosis and after my diagnosis and still today, the, 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 the greatest gift is someone who wants to join, someone talented who wants to join the company. And, and as long as you're growing as strong as we are, you, you will always be able to build a, a job around these people. And I think that really helped us pull a lot of very, very strong talent into the team. How did you pitch um, the company to them? Because good top talent needs, you know, some persuasion. So what was your pitch to them? I'm 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 not I'm not the greatest at you know pitching a, an elevator pitch of what we do, how we do. I mean, it. like, why? How did you convince them? Is what I'm trying to get at. Um. I, I mean, I think in the end they convince themselves. Um. What helped with all the way with always traction and and we're doing well, um. And um. And. Well, we, we, we never, ever lowered the bar on, on manager roles. Um, and I think a lot of people, they follow other people that they find interesting and, and, and inspiring. Um, and also one key question we always ask ourselves when we hire people is not, what is their contribution on the business, but how many great people, you know, will this person be able to A, inspire the team that we already have? And B, will they be able to attract this type of people? Um, because you have, you, you know, you, you have a lot of people who would be great managers or in certain roles, but they're not good at encouraging people who are here, right? Because you, you basically, you, you want people to feel it's a place where they can progress and grow. And they're not able to draw talent in. And, and I think that we did, you know, it was not planned. L looking back, however, I, I think that's definitely one of the biggest drivers of our success. It's just, I mean, we're 110 people, probably a third of the roles are roles where you typically would use a headhunter in, in normal life. Um, we've used executive search twice so far. Uh, in the, and, and the rest was organically through the network. Um, and we are now in this sweet spot, right? We're outgrowing the industry at, at, at a huge pace. Um, there's people from competitors that are coming and asking if, you know, try, trying to network their way in and, and want to join. And we managed to maintain a culture where no one who joins regrets being here. We, we had almost zero involuntary uh, churn since, since founding, like, and, and total churn less than 10%. Um, which in a startup growing at that pace, I think is, uh, it's unheard is of. Congratulations. My, is, is, is definitely my biggest, um, my, my biggest pride. I, I think it's also, it's, you know, it, 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 it's the contribution of the team as a whole, but I think, you know, if I would try to take credit for anything that we built, it's probably, uh, the, the, the culture and the atmosphere, uh, that makes people want to stay that there's every single discipline in the business there's someone who's better at it than me um so so yeah i think my biggest contribution is certainly uh the, the culture we managed to create and that keeps on attracting good people 
but also that starts to provide a home for normal people, right? With, um, you know, you can, you can have 20 rock stars in your first 10. You're not going to scale a team of rock stars. I mean, it would be completely crazy to manage. Um, and, and B, it's just unreasonable, right? When Once you get to 100 and, and now growing towards a 200, <laughs> plenty of motivated nine to five people that need to be uh, running the organization. Um, I think that's that's the other transition that we manage fairly well is to, you know, not 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 do, not not assume the first ten, give them all C level titles and make make them really terrible managers. But if you look at the first ten, all but one are still here and they're all at different levels in the organization. Some 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 are in my N minus one and some are front line. Um, so so I think. We we manage that uh, that 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 pretty well. Uh... Now, talk to me about your future ambitions. Where do you see your company Touchwood? Uh, if everything goes as planned in the coming years, what are some new product uh, that you're trying to roll out? What are the strategies that you're thinking about? How do you plan to continue attracting the kind of talent density that you're getting at uh, your company? Yeah. Um... And the, the market we play in is unattended retail, right? Is how do you sell products to people in places where you cannot run a profitable um, location with personnel? Uh, and, you know, when if I tell you vending machine, you say, well, that's an outdated concept. If I tell you, well, look, I'm providing effectively an alternative to labor, um, then I think you can see the big, big, big macro tailwind um that, that will make this industry grow for quite a period right uh, vending currently is maturing probably in less than a quarter of the economies uh it's it's europe it's us it's a bit of japan and a couple of hubs in asia and a little bit of latin but there's a lot of markets india for instance is absolutely nowhere with vending because it's hard to compete with capex against you know unfortunately a lot of almost free labor 24 7 providing the equivalent service. Um, so, so there's a big tailwind that, 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 that helps. Um, we're currently, our main focus is in Europe. Um, and the, what, what the industry struggles with is a very long life cycles of, uh, of equipment and, and be a very high level of fragmentation, which means the current industry will not manage to evolve it's technology and, and that's where we're providing our solution is effective layer that connects any type of point of sale and turns it into a, in, into an interactive point of sale and it builds on the existing industry right we're not replacing other manufacturers etc we're basically helping everyone from operators manufacturers to build better solutions and w with that and you know i always make fun when people say we're building we're, we're, i always make fun of startups that claim we're building a category I also don't like to use this expression, but we're quite unique in what we propose to the industry. And we see that in Europe, I mean, the traction that we have wouldn't happen if we would be competing against five alternatives on every pitch. Um, so, so at the moment, it's really, as I put it, is the biggest challenge is to prioritize the opportunities to not distract, you know, our team, our development. Um, on things that don't scale or don't provide value um, 
on, on uh, and and the ambition I, I see us build definitely a European champion. I think there's a global opportunity in unattended retail and industry that is 70 billion, right? So it's, 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 it's a huge underlooked industry to grow into with a team. I was the CEO of the lead, one of the biggest players in the world and the leader in Europe. And, and I brought some people from the industry as well. So in terms of team, we're also playing with a team that has, has, has a bench strength is incomparable. Um, and for, for, for me, the, the five to eight year outlook is a, is an IPO as a company, or my metric is more as how many of the early joiners, um, can retire after, uh, after boost bar, um, per personally have achieved anything, you know, I could have dreamt of, I, I wanted to become an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I, I, I probably have enough, um, from, from my shares, et cetera, that, you know, if tomorrow I had to quit, there would be enough to keep my family safe. So I'm, I'm, I'm only doing it because I want to, um, and, and I keep on reminding that to the people here as well, we're, we're getting several hundred applications every month. We're hiring 10 people every month. Most people who work here, they could easily find a job elsewhere. Um, and you know, we're, we're in, in the end, yes, there's people who work here because they pay rent, et cetera. And, and still, even to them, I said, look, you're here to have fun because if you're not having fun, you will easily find a job elsewhere. Um, and I think that's our biggest, uh, that, that, that's, that's our biggest strength as a team. I think we've, we're, we're, we're quite aggressive in terms of ambition, speed to execute, but we can lose the biggest deal in the world and we'll have a laugh about it. We'll debrief and we get on with it. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, back to the culture as well. And why do people join? It's, it's, it, it's a fun place. Um, and, and, and vending machines are fun, right? <laughs> you add screens, you, you turn them into robots. You, you can yeah. get a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. And, and we do, we, we do consciously, we, we do build, we have one segment, experiential marketing where we do, we've, we've done singing and dancing robots for, for, for a jewelry brand with. Uh, we, we do very, very random projects. It's kind of build one, sell ones, stuff that, you know, investors would call really, really silly business models, but still we will continue doing this because it's what, you know, what do you tell your, what does an engineer tell his friends what he's building on? Is he optimizing the, uh, you know, the UI of a vending machine? Um, probably not. Is he building robots that, I set up in a mall in, in, in London and draw interactions probably yet. Yes. So, and, and, and that's important. Um, so first of all, well done on, uh, learning the blue ocean strategy lesson really well at NCAD. Congrats for that. And, uh, second is that, would you say that what the company has become now is roughly the same ambition you started it out with or have there been some changes uh, uh from day one or the first hundred days um i mean I, I think there's been like two or three major s curves in, in our bootstrapping period when, when i was at selecta the, the vending operator we did a lot of bolt on m a and 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 we acquired a lot of businesses between five ten million turnover you know the founders have built it up over 10 years and they, they took 
a, a good amount home that was enough to kind of retire on. So full transparency, my initial plan before we raised money was, look, we'll just buy, we'll build a five to 10 million turnover operator, can't be that difficult. And then we'll sell and I don't know, go back to the mountains and have an easy life. Um, when the traction started to come and we raised, we were like, yeah, we'll build a bigger operator. And then at some point came the, the whole technology. So, so we, had, we had the partner with whom we were developing it and eventually they offered to join us as a team. Um, and suddenly with its tech stack, I mean, the, the partners had been in the industry for 12, 14 years, but focusing more on these experiential projects I just described, but built probably the richest tech stack in the, in the industry. And so suddenly we were equipped with, you know, a team and technology that had nothing to hide against the market leaders. Um, and it's, it's probably in the last six months that the ambition became really, really big. It's also, as I, as I mentioned earlier, right. Uh, so, so two years ago was the low point. Um, disease wise, the first year after recovering, I couldn't really think very long-term and it's really the last 12 months that I'm back to three years down the road, five years down the road. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm usually more, I'm, 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 I'm more careful on, uh, on, on, on my projections and ambitions, but I, I say it with full confidence, uh, we, we, we are an IPO case and, and we will do it. And it's a hundred percent in our hand and, and the team knows it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite excited. I mean, you should be, and, uh, we're all very proud to, you know, see how you've thought about, uh, life, business decisions and philosophy, you know, a lot of the way, and a lot of the points that you mentioned today have a philosophical, uh, bench to it. And it's, it's a delight, uh, listening you, you to just you. cut off there for the last couple of seconds. I was just saying that uh, there's also a philosophical angle to what uh, you've been saying. And I think the combination of dealing with personal challenges, building, you know, an IPO scale business, um, and also you know, just thinking about life as a holistic way, it's just been fascinating to go through. I just want to conclude with a few personal questions, if you don't mind. Um, you mentioned that you've generally been a risk taker. So the fact that you've been dealing with uh, this life-threatening disease, has that changed your risk appetite or has that made you think about risk differently? I mean, I, I, get, I, I get the before-after question a lot and I like to think that I, I didn't change significantly. I think I worry even less than before. Um, be, be, because I'm less desperate to you know achieve demonstrate show anything um i kind of got this gift of a of, of a few extra lives so far um as, as jo jokingly with with, with with another um with with, with a with, with a friend online who's also the sharing the same diagnosis and we were we were jokingly calling it the uh the superpower of people who have nothing to lose um i i don't think it has changed significantly if if anything probably uh you know more even more prone to take risks because uh why why is hard to explain is it because 
you know, my experience has shown that you can be as careful as you want and avoid car accidents and avoid bad health and then still, still, still get it. <laughs> A diagnosis that takes you down. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm quite cynical. One, what one of the recent trends in the in the kind of investing world of like longevity, etc. Um, quite cynical about it. Um, but um, I, I don't think I've changed a lot, and I think that's, if anything, that's that that's the lesson I was lucky. Um, because I, you know, I became an entrepreneur. I took time with the family. I did a lot of the things that. I think if I had had the diagnosis two years earlier, I would have regretted, you know, t till my last day. Um, and so I'm probably more conscious today of, you know, if you get the news tomorrow, um, how would you feel? Um, and that doesn't mean that you cannot spend time investing on long-term dreams and delayed gratification. And then every now and then you have a period where you work more than what you should. And, um, but at least, you know, you should, you should do it in a way where you're pretty sure that whatever happens, you wouldn't regret it. And and I think that I'm comfortable to say um, I, I am in that place. And and I'm very, uh, very focused on staying there. You know, there's always stuff you can improve. And of under 10 people, yes, I would like to see my family more. Uh, th th there are things that I want to improve, but I think I've become more conscious of that. And my last question, do you have any advice for young people thinking about their life and career? Just like, it's an open-ended question. Answer it the way you like. Talk, talk, talk to as many people as you can. Um, and, and, and take time to take the decisions. I think that's the, the, big, the biggest life changer wasn't my diagnosis, but was six months I took between my corporate live and entrepreneurship with no job signed up afterwards so basically just time to talk and discover and explore and 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 make up plans without any constraints of the past that that's the only advice um and, and i think the some of the people you will talk to uh will help you figure out your uh your way forward well pascal thank you so much for your time and for your insights it was uh it was really inspiring listening to you and, you know, like being a small part of uh, your journey. I feel privileged. Your story will uh, inspire lots of people and give them hope uh, to manage through the ups and downs in life with grace. Thank you very much. Thanks, you.